and welcome to the Product Science Podcast, where we're helping startup founders and product leaders build high-growth products, teams, and companies through real conversations with people who have tried it and aren't afraid to share lessons learned from their failures along the way. I'm your host, Holly Hester Riley, founder and CEO of H2R Product Science. In this week's podcast, I had a conversation with Daniel Elizalde, an IoT product consultant who helps product leaders and their teams develop a winning Internet of Things product strategy. He has over 18 years of experience in managing the life cycle of IoT products in many industries, including manufacturing and renewable energy. He's trained over 1,200 professionals around the world through his consulting practice, his online courses, and his popular classes at Stanford University. He's also the host of the IoT Product Leadership Podcast, and he writes about IoT product management at DanielElizalde.com. I had a fantastic time getting into the details of IoT product management with Daniel. So listen on for our conversation. So this week on the Product Science Podcast, I have Daniel. Uh, Daniel, can you tell us how we say your whole name and uh, what you do and how you got there? It sounds great. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Holly. So my full name is Daniel Elizalde, and uh, I've been working in product management for about 20 years in product-related type of roles. Uh, I started my career as an engineer and moved all the way to executive roles. And today I work as an independent consultant for IoT type solutions. Uh, And we can talk a lot more about what that means. But um, so I help companies with their IoT product strategy. And I also teach IoT product strategy at Stanford University. Wonderful. So we will definitely get into more of the nitty gritty around IoT. But before we do that, I always like to hear more about how people got to where they are today, because um, I want to help all of the aspiring product leaders out there uh, hear real stories and realize that, you know, they can get there from where they are, too. So you mentioned you started as an engineer. Um, what kind of companies were you working at? And when did you first learn about what product management is? Yes, um... That's a, the million-dollar question, right? We all come from different perspectives. And uh, so I was working for a industrial automation company when I graduated from school. So my background is on computer engineering. So it's a combination of electronics and software development. And my first job was in Austin, Texas. I am originally from Mexico City. So I moved to Austin, Texas after college to work at a company called National Instruments and we were doing industrial automation solutions. And very quickly after I started my career there, I moved into a applications engineering role, which really in the industry is more called of a solutions architect. So I was designing this very uh, complex manufacturing systems around the world. I was working very closely with sales. And uh, this were a combination of hardware, software, networking, data storage, analytics, basically what we call IoT today. We were doing, uh, you know, 20 years ago in a very different fashion, of course. And that's really when my my love of product started to come out because I had the opportunity to be in front of customers, helping them with the solutions, understanding what their challenges were, and then coming back to the company and and talk to engineering and say, you know what, these things that we said we were going to launch is not really what the customer wants, or to marketing's like the the we're not understanding the problem, and and so it was really interesting to to have that ability to be between sales, marketing, engineering, and the customer. And that's where it all started. I, of course, didn't know that this was called product management. 
Um, and then I move on to different uh, companies. I started working for a smaller company where I had my first product role. I was heading a, uh, a data management solution for manufacturing, working with a lot of uh, big manufacturing companies around the world. And, uh, and, and from there, I started basically learning on my own because there are not a lot of resources, even today. But back then, I, I couldn't find a lot of information about what is it that I was doing or trying to do. I then move on to try to figure out all the different pieces that I thought my career was missing. So I was very passionate about understanding the user needs and user experience. And of course, we didn't call it like that then. So I started working at an agency that did uh, user research and user experience and eventually became the head of projects there. And I got the opportunity to do a lot of heavy duty research projects at many tech companies through this agency. And so continuing my my evolution, got back to working on um, product, hitting a, a, a e-commerce platform, the portion for um, integration with third-party systems. So I learned a lot about cloud integration and third-party and vendors, those kind of things. Um, and then I decided to move to the Bay Area. My, my passion has always been on uh, kind of big industrial applications and specifically renewable energy. So I wanted to work in that space. And I ended up uh, working at a startup that uh, does intelligent energy storage. So these big batteries that control the energy from the grid and to buildings. And, you know, I was head of product for, for that for a while. And that's when I started working more on giving back because at the time I had a lot of mentors and a lot of people like Rich Mironov that, that really helped me figure out the path. And um, I ended up starting my blog and getting some traction there. Then I got the opportunity to teach at Stanford. I, I was able to you know, put together uh, a course based on IoT product strategy and teach my lessons learned to people there. And I've been teaching there for about three years. It's been a very, very popular course. And, and then I decided to become an independent consultant and start working with companies, helping them with their strategy. So all the things that I've done wrong throughout my career, it's like, I, you don't have to do it again. So that's how I ended up to where I am today. Long answer. Oh, that is, that's, well, it was a wonderful long answer. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I love, uh, I love that you're basically helping people not make all the same mistakes that you made. That's uh, not making the same mistakes again is something that I want to help with as well. I definitely see a lot of the same mistakes being made over and over. And, you know, making mistakes is actually a great way to learn, but let's at least try to make new ones. Um, yes, <laughs> this is kind of how I feel. Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, there were a couple of things in there that I want to hear more about. But I one one thing that kind of struck me with what you just said is, you went through a lot of areas that while in 2019, we, you know, identify as kind of unifying into a, a product leadership um, skill set. Uh, I imagine that over the course of time that you were going through this, that might not have been obvious to everybody. I'm kind of curious how you identified what gaps you wanted to fill and, and what kind of reactions you got when you, say, decided to, to move from, you know, a product role to a user research role and, and things like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's an interesting question because I've I, I want to say that I've somewhat modeled my career after what I've been trying to pursue, and of course, you know, in hindsight, it all looks like it perfectly fits together, right? And at the time, it was very chaotic. But the way I always thought about it is that I've been 
very passionate about, uh, like I said, renewable energy and the challenges that that we face with climate change and all that. And so uh, my my passion was always, so if I'm a technologist and I want to help with those problems, how how can I do that? And so starting backwards from what kind of problems can be solved through technology? What kind of companies are doing that? And what are the areas that I would need to know in order to work in those companies? And so piecing it back together, I, I knew I, I, I needed automation and hardware and software expertise. Um, then I started to realize that, well, it's all about what the users need. How do I learn that? Okay, well, what if I go start working at a UX agency and, and not as a designer, but more as a as a director of programs, this was my role um, leading these efforts and learning from the designers and the developers. And then the next portion that I identified was um, cloud. Cloud computing was, was is very important for this kind of technology. So I said, okay, can I, can I get that experience? And I was lucky to find a job at an e-commerce company that I learned a ton. And it was not necessarily working on smart energy immediately, but, it, but I was kind of pistoling, uh, putting all the pieces together. Um, and then I, uh, I got the opportunity to work at an actual energy company. And that's where all my, my knowledge kind of came together. And, um, <laughs> you know, you, both you and I know uh, Rich Mironov. And, and uh, I remember having this, this meeting with him where I was telling him I wanted to work in product management for an energy company in the Bay Area. And he said, choose two. Right, either product management in the Bay Area or energy and product management, or you know. And then, you know, after a few months, I gave him a call and he's like, <laughs> "Hey, guess what? I'm head of products at an energy company in the Bay Area." And so he took me out to dinner because he lost the bet. But um, so it's it's kind of been a little bit planned, uh, and of course, it's not as as uh, easy as it sounds and as as direct as it sounds. But it's my story, so I get to tell it, right? That's right. Uh, so how did you win that bet? What, what did it actually look like when you finally get, you know, it sounds like you were kind of on a mission all along the way, but um, I'm curious about some of the details. Did, did the energy company have a head of product opening that you applied for? Or did you like network your way into that? Or like, did you have to convince them that they needed a product person? What, what did that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I, it, it was a startup and they, I had to network my way in and it was one of those things where where they kind of needed what I had and the conversation really was about uh, the skills that I bring to the table are the skills that you don't have today. So I might not have the energy background, but you have a lot of those experts already in the company, but you don't have a product person. So I can complement that. And so it was convincing them that I had this missing piece and how I could blend in. And they were at a stage where they really needed to or wanted to create a product practice. So I came in as a first uh, product person there and start setting up the processes and the tools and hiring a team and all that. And, and that was a, a great experience. And today, now that, you know, after some years of that, I continue with that that passion. And, and as an independent consultant, I you know, I always try to work with more energy companies. I, as I mentioned before, I have a podcast on my own for IoT, and I try to feature a lot of energy companies because I think it's not only important topic, but the technology is fascinating. That's awesome. Um, so uh, 
listeners of uh, some of our episodes may may have discovered I have a degree in chemical engineering. Um, and so I, uh, and then I worked in environmental engineering for a little while. And so I'm uh, particularly interested in, in this topic of renewable energy because, um, you know, it's, it's been, uh, something that I, I would say I went a different path where I was like, that is a really important work. And, um, I know enough that I could work in it, but it never seemed like, the right confluence of things like the opportunities were in the right place where I wanted to live. I live in New York city and um, got to a point where I realized like I want to live in New York city more than I want to move somewhere for a job. Um, and, uh, and so I'm curious to hear um, a bit more about where the energy industry is today and, and what it's like to be a product person in it and, um, uh, and how IOT folds into that. Can you, can you tell us some more? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think there's a, a big push for working on areas around, let's say, climate change, right? And so if you look at it from a technology perspective, what, is that, what does that really mean? And so one thing I can tell you, for example, is can we uh, reduce our, uh, the burning of fossil fuels? Okay, that all sounds good, but how do you do that? Okay, one way of doing it is integrating some renewable energy. So let's talk about wind or solar. Well, they have challenges because if the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine, that doesn't work. Okay, well, we can have uh, batteries that can, you know, support that. And uh, then we have to connect them to the grid, but the grid is not designed for this kind of intelligent thing, right? And so these are the pieces. And now it's more about as a product person, okay, how, what are the companies that are helping on each of those pieces. So it's not only about like solar power, but it's like artificial intelligence companies that are, are able to take energy data to create dispatches of when to run batteries. Or how do you make sure that, you know, um, uh, an electric car can find a charging station, right? And so all these products. So it's, it's thinking about what are all the different pieces that need to happen in order for us to have a transition out of fossil fuels. And it's extremely, of course, extremely complex, but it's this idea that, okay, the, by integrating these renewables, it has a lot of challenges that product companies need to figure out how to do. If you want electric vehicles, well, there's a lot of challenges around the industry that that has to do. Um, even just making fossil fuel burning more efficient, well, there's a lot of uh, product work that can go into that. Right? So it's, I think the work of a product person in energy it's about bringing in the knowledge that we have of product and applying to solving this type of problems that can generate value to the company, to the customers, and to society. Right? And, and there's actually, I think, two things that I've, that I've found in, in this world right now, which is one is a traditional energy, and the other one is what's called more smart energy. And so I think we are seeing more product work in the smart energy area because it focuses more on the technologies that product as a profession is working on, right? It's like fast networking, um, machine learning, cloud, uh, all those kind of technologies, right? And then traditional energy has a little bit more of the more traditional thinking about how to build products in terms of those tendencies, right? So as a product person in this world, you have to be fluent in both because you're going to have to figure out how all these pieces fit together. And, you know, as a segue, the Internet of Things is one of those big 
philosophical umbrellas that helps bring all these things together. Super long answer as well. I'll let you ask me stuff and uh, we'll talk about it in the middle. Otherwise, yeah. I'll keep going. <laughs> no, it's good. I, um, I love all the details and I'm uh, uh, happy to dive into them. So tell me more about the, um, the role of IoT. Maybe there's a, a specific story you could tell about um, you know, some IoT systems that are related to smart energy that um, have had an interesting uh, product problem to solve or, you know, how they've come to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's why I'm, I'm really interested in the Internet of Things. And, and one of my, my missions is really to shed light that the Internet of Things can help us with these very tough problems. A lot of people think about the Internet of Things and they think about, oh, it's a smart toaster, right? Or my refrigerator can send me a text message. And, you know, yeah, that's out there. And there's use for that. And the technology is actually the same. But that's not what I'm talking about. The the description that I have for how Internet of Things helps with, in this particular case, smart energy, it, it's a simple concept if you think about it. It's can you add sensors to the real world environment to acquire data of the context? And then you can analyze that data in a centralized location, let's say the cloud, so that you can provide insights, so that you can provide some value to the customer, to the society, or to your company, right? And so when we think about, let's say, the company that I was working for with uh, uh, energy storage systems, right, these big batteries, well, these batteries have a ton of sensors that are measuring the consumption of battery from the 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 energy from the building, um, a lot of parameters from the battery itself, what the grid is doing, what the weather is doing, all those kind of things. And you are acquiring all that data and you're processing it, what's called at the edge. So you have a computer that's acquiring all that data on site. And then you're streaming it to the cloud. And in the cloud, you can run algorithms at in aggregation, right? So instead of looking at just the performance of one battery, you can look at a whole city of batteries and then you can make decisions and you can dispatch them and orchestrate them differently. And then of course you have all the front end applications that your different users, and this is you know a lot of product work, a lot of users are going to, to need. So the person that, that it's the operator at a utility is gonna have a different view than the person that is the owner of the building that's looking at their consumption, that the person that is controlling the batteries, et cetera. And so the Internet of Things allows us to connect all these different pieces together. And this is just one system, right? I'm talking about the batteries. But for example, if you have, let's say solar panels, well, those have their own sensors and they are measuring their own things and they could communicate with the batteries and talk amongst themselves to charge and discharge and connect to the grid, et cetera, et cetera, right? And of course, smart energy is just one thing, right? You can do, you can use the same concept of sensors, uh, data aggregation, cloud, et cetera. In manufacturing, there's a lot of applications in healthcare, waste management, water management, uh, supply chain, agriculture. Right? So anything that has to do with uh, connecting the physical and the digital worlds so that we can create more insights and value, that's really where the Internet of Things can really help us. It's very different than the smart toaster, right? Very, very different. Um, so one thing that's interesting to me is that you've been involved in some of these things, you know, going all the way back to your time in uh, Texas at National Instruments. 
um, I think sometimes people don't realize how a lot of these uh, sensors and electronics and computing tools have actually been involved in these systems for a long time, but evolved over the over the decades. Um, what is what is so different about it today that that makes it um, you know worthy of a name uh, like IoT and uh, and exciting for all this investment? Yes, um, that's really a really a good question. And I, part of it is you know the marketing teams get a hold of things and and then you come up with these hypes, right? Um, but the reality is that if you think yes. about yeah, right? um, if, if you think about the work that, for example, I was doing twenty years ago. The components were there, but the processing power was very limited. They were bulky. There was no connectivity to a remote place. There was no cloud. It was just local servers. And it was very expensive and very clumsy. Like it would take us a team of engineers for a long time to put something together that would collect some of this data and try to do something about it. Today, the technology of each of the components has evolved tremendously from sensors to the power that you can have in a computer in terms of performance, um, size, storage, connectivity is a big one, right? You are able to stream data uh, wirelessly or wired uh, across the world for very fast, for not a lot of money. Cloud is ubiquitous right now. Uh, we can get all that information there. Front-end applications and all that has evolved a ton. So the pieces are a lot easier to put together and they are faster than ever and they are cheaper than ever. And so this really opens up the product profession to take advantage of these technologies because now we can do, um, you know, value assessments and we can do uh, somewhat of rapid prototyping and iterations and those kind of things to figure out market fit and the things that product people do with the understanding that the technology itself is not the challenge, right? We know that our engineering teams can connect sensors, can gather that data, can have elastic clouds with endless storage, quote unquote, right? Um, we know that we can even go to like virtual reality. We know that it can even go to artificial intelligence. So it's, it's not a technical problem anymore. And, you know, to the CTOs listening to me out there, you know, I understand that this is still very difficult and, and, you know, I'm not taking that work from granted, but the reality is more that it's a product problem these days and a business model problem. So now that the pieces are there, what are we going to do with them? And that's where I think the value of a product profession in the era of connected devices is extremely important because managing an IoT product is very difficult. Right? And it's, again, not a technical problem. Right? So... Hopefully that that answers a little bit. Yeah, I think that was really helpful. I know um, one thing that I've described to people, uh, someone who's been, you know, we've been working in tech and software for a while, is that in in today's world, it's it's not really. Um, there, there are a few things that one. I mean, okay, there's a lot of things you could imagine that we could maybe can't do yet, but there's so many things that people think would be impossible that are actually possible with today's technology. And so the questions are increasingly not, can it be done, but um, should it be done? And how much will it take to do it? And is it the most important thing for us to do with these resources? Because um, there's a, we've kind of gone over an edge and now there's this so many amazing things that we could do with, um, you know, these 
incredibly tiny processing devices and this hyper-connected world that we've got, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of brings me to um, curiosity around the state of the product profession in IoT and in uh, smart energy or, or energy. Um, I know, you know, personally, I spent years in, say, advertising technology, um, which was a, a place where some of the the cutting edge, you know, what we can do with the big data and interconnected world um, came together pretty early. And I know that there are industries that are slower to change. And, you know, um, sometimes on the other end of the spectrum, you've got industries where there's still a lot of things that are um, maybe completely digital, automated and managed by machine learning in one industry and in another industry, it's, it's all still human experts. Um, so I'm curious, what does it look like in, in energy and in IoT? What is kind of the awareness of the role of product and, and how much are they using technology and um, how much room is there to go? Um, I, I think that there's, there's a ton of room to go, right? This is it's just, just getting started because although the hype of IoT has been around for some time, we're just getting past that hype and actually starting to see some real deployments, some real uh, value being delivered. And when I say that the complexity is, is huge from a product perspective, it's because there are a lot more pieces that you have to fit into the puzzle. So you have hardware, you have embedded software, you have networking connectivity, you have cloud, and you have front-end applications. And so you need a more holistic view, a more system perspective in order to get all those pieces to work together, right? So it's not only about, hey, can we use artificial intelligence? Yeah, that piece is you know, starting to get better understood, but like, how does that relate to the embedded software? And how does that relate to the communications? And how does that relate to the hardware? So that thinking is where the product profession needs to evolve towards, right? And then the other thing is to think about when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, critical applications, what I, what I call them, right? So it's not the same. You, you can't really um, move fast and break things when you're controlling a power grid, when you are controlling the automation of a manufacturing facility, when you're controlling the turbines of a jet, when you are controlling weapon systems, right? So it's, it's a very different mindset, so we have to meet somewhere in the middle, right? We can't be fully waterfall, but at the same time, we have to be able to experiment with care because not only you get you get the worst of both worlds, right? You get, if you do something without the right attention to, to the detail and consequences, you not only open yourself and your customers for data breaches, which are terrible, but now you can actually control things in the physical world. Think about, an autonomous vehicle. Autonomous vehicles are IoT products in that perspective, right? They have all the sensors and the computing and they're connected to the cloud. Well, you know, if somebody could actually hack into a car and control it um, and uh, think about controlling the grid, controlling the uh, security of a building, controlling a heart um, bypass system that goes inside a human body. So that's where the, the complexity grows. It's not that you can, each of the components by itself it's kind of understood, putting it together and just thinking about the implication of what you're going to put out in the market, it's uh, it's big. So we're, we're early getting there, right? I, I, as, you know, I, I, that's what I do today. I've trained over uh, 1,200 professionals around the world on like how to think about IoT. And it's really interesting to see the light bulbs going on and 
how people say, yeah, I have the hardware expertise. Now I need to focus on the networking or now I need to uh, focus on learning about cloud or about this or about that, right? But more importantly, think about the privacy, the security, and the policy implications of your products. That is heavy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm, a, I'm on my soapbox right now. But that's an interesting thing. It's like when I talk to a lot of companies, especially executives, they're like, now, oh, well, we just need to do something quick to market and we don't have time to look at security. It's like, you are going to automate a plane. Are you really sure you're not going to do that? Or like, so that mindset has to change, right? And so companies that are coming from a traditional world, yes, they need to adopt some of the things that were coming in the digital world, but carefully, right? And that's, that's a lot of where I think the evolution of the product leadership role in a more and more connected world needs to evolve, right? To, to have this system perspective and to be able to identify all these risks and make the right trade-offs while still providing value to the company, to the customer, and to society. Yes. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm struck by how heavy that topic is, but it was on the back of my mind. I was like, okay, we're going to talk about security before we're done. <laughs> um, yes. So, so what, I mean, I have no idea what people inside these companies, what level of exposure they have to, um, you know, what tools and systems and thinking and experts they even have to help them deal with that. But that is a lot. That, so what do you tell them to do if they're, if they were thinking, Hey, we just got to get something out fast. Like we got to be trendy and have an IOT thing. And then you're like, whoa, whoa, um, we got to make sure this is extremely secure because if somebody did something nefarious with this, it would be dangerous. Like, how do they even get started? Yeah, that's an actual excellent point. And um, in, in my classes and in my, my workshops, et cetera, I, I run them through a few scenarios where we have a, a potential IoT product and brainstorm what's the worst that could happen. And you would be amazed, like, every time I run those exercises, people come up with like horrendous things, right? And so it's like, yeah, that is what could happen. And um, it's not only about uh, loss of data, but it actually could be about loss of life. And so first of all, is identify that, that this risk is real. And then you have to evaluate or prioritize what are some of the things that are most likely to happen? And then which risks are you willing to mitigate versus not, right? So it's a little bit of, you know, traditional out-of-the-box uh, risk management analysis. But then the next part is thinking about, and this is, this is, you know, what I teach with my IoT decision framework is how to break this thing into manageable pieces. And so the framework has five layers of the IoT technology stack, um, device hardware, device software, communications, cloud platform, and cloud applications. And so the exercise really is to think about how are you going to secure not only each of the layers, right? How is your hardware secure, your embedded software secure, um, et cetera, but as a whole, how is the whole secure? And then um, because the systems have a lot of interactions with third parties, because it's a big ecosystem, right? You have to open APIs and well, what happens when a third actor access your system? And, and so you have to do a lot of planning for penetration testing and evaluating all those kind of things, right? And just thinking about all those different things and then figuring out how to do it, right? And uh, you, can, you can rely on vendors to help you because a lot of the platforms that you can buy today have a lot of security built in. So that gives you a first layer of defense. But then on top of that, whatever you build, needs to be secured. So my, my core advice for product people in this world is 
get conversant of what does it mean to talk security. That's a skill that we need. And, and I've actually given several talks about the topic. It's like we need to be able to bring these topics up and we need to be able to talk to our teams, be able to secure funding from executives, et cetera. Um, and then plan for security in your roadmap. If it's not in your roadmap, it's not going to get done. So prioritize security as you would anything else and actually hire, right? And so it's not that, oh, we didn't get time, so it goes out like this. It's like, no, this particular feature is competing against priority about you know, closing the security holes that we know. Then you do your normal product prioritization, right? So think of it as things that you have to prioritize and think of it also as a never-ending process. You're never done. Right? Just like QA, you're never done. Every feature, you have to figure out how to test it, how to secure it. And then the last thing is that you have to think about security from a development perspective. How do you produce secure products as much as you can? And then security, once you deploy systems in the field, like how would you know that you have been hacked? How do you know how to contain the attack, what do you do, right? So there's there's two aspects where products managers have to live, which is secure it before it goes out and then secure it once it's out. And all of those security items need to be on the roadmap, right? Like how do you quarantine something? How do you shut access? How do you detect that anomaly has occurred? All those are features that need to be built. That's why it's big. It's huge. And, <laughs> and you're right, very complex. Like there's a lot of things to deal with that, you know, our uh, consumer, uh, like, software might not have to deal with. Um, yeah, exactly. So I was wondering, uh, I don't know, I imagine there's, like, NDAs around these things, but do you have any stories where um, somebody didn't do these things? Like, has, where do, what is the state of, of um, IoT security gone wrong? Are there any... Um, uh, any bad things that have happened or almost happened? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ton, right? And, and yes, I have some under NDA, but I've also just basically just do a Google search and you'll find a lot of them. Um, and the, the challenge here is that you're never done. And the way I like to phrase it is that for every developer that you have looking at security, hackers have 10. So it, it's a never-ending thing and it's a, it's a race, right? So um, in... in um, in some of my classes, uh, I always show an example of a, uh, and you can you can look it up, and I can send you the link if you want for your show notes, um, of a car in motion that gets hacked through wireless, and so somebody takes control of the car in motion, and so the way that the hackers get access to the car is through the infotainment system. So the developers never thought that somebody could hack their infotainment system and move laterally all the way till they get to the engine control unit and then attack the car, right? And so that is the kind of thinking that we need to have. It's not that these companies were not doing security. I'm sure they were, right? But there are so many components that all of a sudden can get access to the controlling units that how do you, how do, you do that, right? So that's why defining what could happen, constant testing, constant penetration testing from third-party people that, that do this for a living, that is that is what's needed because our team won't be able to detect all these things, period, right? So we need a lot of emphasis. And of course, the investment in time and money and people 
has to be proportional to the level of risk, right? If you are automating a nuclear plant, you you better, you know, put a lot of effort, right? If you're automating a smart toaster, well, the worst that could happen, maybe they get access to the network, they steal some information, it, it can be contained more, right? So the answer is somewhere in the middle. As a product person, you have to be able to articulate that to the executives because it's not only the damage that you can cause to other people, but it's the damage that being hacked will cost to your reputation. And some companies never recover from that alone, right? So there's a huge business implication. And that's a way that I talk to executives, right? The cost of not investing in this could cost you your whole business. Have you ever had pushback when you talk to executives about that and had them, I mean, maybe when you say that to their face, they don't say, oh, but it's okay. But have you had them then not act as though that was important? I get pushed back all the time directly to my face. And, uh, and, and I think that this is, oh, where, no. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and I think this is where, where conflicting slash misguided views about what the product life cycle is can get in the way. And what I mean by that is people come at me with the, oh, but we're agile. That's going to slow us down. It's like being agile has nothing to do with building a secure product. Well, it's going to take too long. Well, we have to be more thoughtful about this is what really takes to build products of this caliber, right? If you you can't just go fast and not secure it, you have to just realign expectations to say a product like this takes this long because of the complexity inherently, not only with technology, but with security, with regulation, which is huge, with data privacy, right? So, it's, I think, a realignment of, hey, this is what it really takes and this is what could happen. So people oftentimes think of it as a, a deterrent, something that's going to slow them down. I try to position it as this is an opportunity for you to differentiate in the market, save a lot of trouble in the future, and actually uh, create products that people trust, right? Marty Kagan loves saying, you know, we have to make products that people love, Actually, I my mantra is we need to make products that people trust. And if you trust the product, then love can emerge from that. But in this era of connected devices with all that is at stake, I think as PMs, we need to bring that trust to the table. And that is having our arguments with our executives and saying, hey, this is important. And, and the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? We can't just be paralyzed by it, but we have to invest in it, time, money, resources. Yeah. Um, I think that is so timely to talk about, you know, in this connected era, how important that is. And uh, that companies that have customer love today can lose it tomorrow if they haven't been treating that with respect and making sure that trust is, is in the foundation. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. And we see it all the time, right? And, and um, that's very common also in the business to consumer world, because all you consumers are not going to be able to get into a discussion about how did you secure your product, right? There's either they trust your brand to do the right thing or they don't, right? Um, in the B2B industrial world where I, um, where I work the most, that's um, a little bit different because when you're selling B2B to this kind of critical infrastructure systems, you actually get to sit down with their head of security and you have to explain what you've done in order to get a contract. It's a little bit different, right? Um, but I think the mindset should be the same, right? The mindset shouldn't be, we're going to do the minimum so that we can 
pass an audit from our potential customer is we need to build secure products because we don't want to hurt lives. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, are there any other parts of, of what you teach in your curriculum that um, would be really interesting to our product leaders or startup founders that we haven't touched on? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And <laughs> I'm going to put a caveat. This is something that I'm sure they won't find interesting, but they need to find interesting, which is <laughs> okay. under, understanding policy and regulations, especially when you're dealing with connected devices, especially in B2B. There's a lot of regulations that goes around with that. Um, if you are deploying something, um, let's say, let's go back to the energy examples, right? You're going to install solar panels on a building. Well, there's a lot of regulation that goes around it. And so your product needs to be compliant, not only from the physical characteristics, but the the data management characteristics. Um, A lot of products get audited, what you can and can't do with the data, all those things, right? And so I've seen a lot of examples, especially startups that don't think about these things in advance. They launch a product and it's illegal the day they launch and they get sued and they lost all their funding and they go under. So understanding what are the regulations across the both the life cycle of your product and also the adoption life cycle. Right? When you're growing and let's say you're expanding to a different markets and you're taking your products to Japan, the regulations are going to be different in Japan versus in the UK versus in Mexico versus in California versus in New York. So all the different things that you need to do for your product to be viable, quote unquote legal in those places are things that have to go in the roadmap and have to be prioritized against everything else. And so I get a lot of uh, interesting discussions from from, um, executives or other product leaders, which is like, well, when are we going to actually develop features to you know, value for our customers. If we're spending all our time in security features and compliance with policy, and it's like, well, that's why building these types of product is hard. And that's why product work in advance to make sure that you have a good market fit potential is very important. Because if you're going to go into this journey of investing in building something like this, then you you have to have very solid product work to know that, there's a path and there's market fit so that actually your investments can pan out, right? It's very different than if you build, you know, a small app to put on the iTunes store and yeah, doesn't happen. Nothing happens if nobody buys it, right? This is, we're talking a different scale. So it's going to move a little bit slower. You're going to have to invest in things that might not seem that add value to the customer, but they're foundational for having strong products and for you to grow from there. So again, people don't, uh, they gloss over, right? Uh, uh, in my blog, like the articles that I write about the importance of policy are the least popular of all my articles, right? And so that's why I always bring it up. So like, <laughs> yes, you might not find it interesting, but but you have to, you still have to deal with it. Yes, thank you for that. That's actually, uh, that was the other thing in the back of my mind that escaped me at the moment. I was like, there's something else I want to ask him. Um so one thing on that note that I'm curious about is um, what do you think about the state of regulation um, is for the, for internet of things, you know, for these connected devices is, um, is it caught up? Is it enough to keep the public safe? Is it, uh, is it way behind? Is it too much? Um, what do you see? 
Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And I, I, I'm going to tell you two different um, areas. Um, one is, is, is regulation is way behind. Right? There's, there's really no regulation for these things, and it's growing a lot, the, the adoption of these devices. And so you can start to see now some uh, regulation uh, attempts to regulate data. For example, you know, in Europe, we have a GDPR, which is the first you know, real data regulation. In the U.S., we don't really have something like that. California has something more or less. Um, so we're starting to see that. But then that's one of the areas. And the, each industry is going to have different regulations just the way they operate, right? Healthcare versus energy versus transportation. Um, and those are trying to figure out how does this new revolution fit into the policy and, and what to do with it? Um, I experienced that firsthand when I was working at this energy storage company. Um, regulation was not caught up at the time. Um, I think it's still struggling with that part. And so you were treated as a solar panel because they thought, well, this thing, when this charges, it produces energy. So where do we put it next to a solar panel? And so all of a sudden you have all this new area of technology, you know, intelligent storage that it policy-wise is fits under solar panels. And so that as a product manager really hinders your roadmap because all of a sudden you can't do things legally because the government thinks you're a solar panel, right? And so that, that took a lot of, of working and influencing and all that to, to change those rules. And so we're seeing that same parallel in all industries, right? Think about um, autonomous vehicles, not only cars, but there's a lot of efforts on autonomous trains and ships and drones. Well, the regulation is trying to figure out what do you do with that, right? So it is challenging. It is very, very challenging. And I always say that uh, product managers need to really have a solid uh, friend that knows the policy, right? Somebody in, uh, in the legal team or in the policy team and they need to be part of our extended product team because their opinions and their input is, is critical for what we can and can't build. That's a really good tip. I love that. Um, I think this is something that's not an area that I personally have come across yet, but I know that um, you know who is in the product team and who's a core stakeholder, um, who, how close they are to the decisions changes from industry to industry. And it sounds like in this one, yeah, a policy uh, expert would be critical. I think so. And, and I think that this is one of the big differences that I see with IoT product management, that the scope is so big that we can't, one person cannot know it all, right? Because you have to understand the hardware life cycle, the embedded life cycle, the networking life cycle, the cloud life cycle, the front end life cycle for all formats, right? And, and then security and regulations, and of course, business models and everything else that we do, right? And so all of a sudden, the scope is so big that the, the perspective of what I believe an IoT product manager is, needs to change to be more of a system thinker. And companies really build teams of IoT product managers that together they can manage the scope. There's really no one single PM that can look at everything. It's just too much, right? Because even if you can... Like, for example, I've had experience managing all the areas of the stack, right? So I'm comfortable with that, but I, I'm not a policy expert, so or I'm not an artificial intelligence expert. And so there's no way you can know it all. So 
that's why it's important for us to to build those bridges and, and invite those folks to lunch and, and be friends with them and because they need to be part of the team. Yeah. Um, so we're almost out of time. So um, the last thing I always like to ask is if there's any, you know, one message, what's your, your one final message that you would share for product leaders or startup founders, um, you know, in the IOT space or in energy, what is the one thing they need to remember? Ooh, I think one thing that I would say is, this technology revolution is here to stay and it's having a big impact in the product profession. So it's important for us as product leaders to keep up with where this is taking us and where it's taking us, it's the need of understand this holistic and systemic approach to building products that has to deal with uh, physical signals from the real world and hardware and embedded and cloud and networking and all that. Think about all that and policy and security, right? Just start thinking about the complexities of all these different things put together, but not only about the complexities of the building it, but on the other side is if you were able to acquire real world signals from your customer's environment and you could analyze it at scale, what additional value could you provide to your customer and to your company, right? So it's a double-edged thing, right? So it's like there's an opportunity for us to capture real value and differentiate our products by analyzing it this way. And if we decide to go that route, just understand that it's a complex world and, you know, many are doing it, but like just know what you're getting into and seek the help of experts and vendors and things like that. So that was like three pieces of advice in one, but hopefully that helps. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a, just one is too hard, right? Um, but I think that's, that's really helpful. Um, and, uh, and this has been a fantastic and very enlightening conversation. So um, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate uh, uh, this conversation. Um, people can find me at uh, my website, which is just my name, danielelisalde.com. And um, I also, like I said, I have a, my blog and my podcast. And uh, the podcast you can find at iotproductleadership.com. And it takes you to my same site. It's just easier to remember than spelling my last name. So iotproductleadership.com. Um, I have my courses there and, and uh, my blog and my podcast and everything else. And I'm uh, happy to connect with you and, and discuss more about this exciting world of IoT product management. Product Science Podcast is brought to you by H2R Product Science. We teach startup founders and product leaders how to use the product science method to discover the strongest product opportunities and lay the foundations for high growth products, teams, and businesses. Learn more at h2rproductscience.com. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. I also encourage you to visit us at productsciencepodcast.com to sign up for more information and resources from me and our guests. If you love the show, a rating and review would be greatly appreciated. Thank you.